Amen. Amen. Can you give it up for the worship teams today? Great job, guys. Way to go. So we're continuing, actually concluding our sermon series on the summer in Psalms. Summer is nearing an end, and so is this series. Today we're going to look at Psalm 139, if you want to open there. Um, Psalms are a great way for us to learn not just about ourselves, but also about God. Uh, Billy Graham, before he passed, he would read one uh, proverb every day to kind of know how to connect with people. And he also read five psalms every day so he would know how to connect with God. So as we look at David's relationship with God through the, this one psalm, we can also sort of learn something about God and about ourselves. So David uh, was talking to God kind of like you would talk to a friend. Now, we kind of have different kinds of friends. You know what I mean? Like you have the kind of friend that they're very polite all the time. And they always have uh, their act together. It doesn't seem like they're ever going through any kind of turmoil or crisis. They invite you over to their house, and it's always clean and tidy, you know. Um, and then you have the other kind of friend where it's like they invite you over to your house, and it's like, oh, I, I didn't know we were on that level. Like, they didn't even bother to, like, clean up. You know, and I personally, like, I kind of like that. Like, when you invite me over to your house and it's sort of like you still have, like, banana peels on the counter and stuff because the kids are just being crazy. It's like, all right, okay, so you're not trying to impress me. This is great. I love it. You know what I'm talking about? Um, just having that kind of relationship where you can be real with the person. You know what I mean? Uh, the kind of person where you could call any one of your friends and share the good news and celebrate the wins. But then you sort of have that one friend or those couple of friends where you could really cry and tell them how angry you are. That, you know, you, you just get the snot coming down your nose because you just, it's like that gut level of like, I am so upset right now or I am so sad right now. Or, I'm so frustrated. And you go to that kind of a friend. So when we look at this psalm, I want you to think about that kind of a friend and how David actually goes to God with his frustration at that deepest uh, gut level. And I'll point it out when we get there. But that's the kind of thing I want to challenge us to do today. As we think about what David knew thousands of years ago with this psalm, I also want to point out that modern uh, science and psychology is also affirming something that David already knew way back then, and that's the, the core human needs. Philippians 4.19 says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Amen? So whatever your need is here today, you can go to God with it, and he will supply your needs. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He will provide for you whatever it is that your need is. So if you want to look this up, I'm going to give you a very overly simplistic view uh, of what this is. But Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I've boiled it down to three building blocks that kind of make a pyramid. So if you're taking notes, you can draw a little pyramid. All right, and on the bottom, the basic, the building block would be uh, safety. And then on top of safety, you can add love. And if you have both of those two, then you really have this need on the top of the pyramid, which is purpose. But they kind of come in the right order because safety is important. And in America, we kind of take safety for granted, maybe because we have a pretty safe nation. Now, not everybody's living uh, safely, um, but most of us are. 
Um, I, I'm the kind of guy that just will, at least until you know, I got broken into a few years ago, but like, I would just go out of town and leave my door unlocked, leave my car doors unlocked. You know, I go to the gym, and uh, I just put my wallet in, in, the, in the locker room. Like, this is a brand new wallet because my wallet was stolen last week. Because <laughs> I just, like, leave it in the locker room, and I just assume uh, safety. You know, not everybody, like, Charity doesn't assume safety. All right? Sayla's five years old. She's still in a rear-facing car seat. Uh, <laughs> not serious, but kind of, just occasionally, <laughs> just for long trips. <laughs> Judah's going to be 30 years old in a little booster seat. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not 130 pounds yet. Um, but anyway, like, <laughs> sorry, Jared. <laughs> but anyway, like, safety is important, and then once you feel safe, then you can add to that love. Imagine you're in a jungle, and there are poisonous spiders and snakes, like jaguars kind of creeping around, and it's dark, and like poison ivy and stuff. If you're in that jungle, and you're feeling extremely insecure, you're not going to be feeling very frisky, like, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Like, you got to get the first need met, but, and even in relationships, not just romantic relationships, but um, before you really open up and have love in like a friendship sort of way where you can be vulnerable, first you need to feel safe so that you can trust that person. That's why they're building blocks. So you've got safety and then you've got uh, love. And if you have both of those things, then you might start thinking about purpose in life. You know, we might, uh, like a homeless person on the street doesn't oftentimes probably fill their mind with, what's my destiny in life? They're really consumed with, where's my next meal going to come from? So hopefully you're blessed enough to have those building blocks in your life and have those needs met. But many times we encounter these types of things. So in Psalm 139, I'm going to point out some of those building blocks, some of those uh, uh, hierarchy of needs that we have and how God can meet those needs in your life, and in my life. So why don't we go ahead and uh, start with verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to stop partway through uh, each little section and explain the section as we go along. So let's read the first six verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Knowledge, okay? This is what we're talking about, the first six verses. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern, again, talking about knowledge, my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So over and over and over in these verses, we can see this concept of knowledge and knowing and intelligence. This is to point out, I'm, point, I'm trying to point out three attributes of God today in this first section of Psalm 139. The first attribute is that God is omniscient. That word means, it's a compound word for, for two words that are put together, omni, which is Latin for all, and shint, okay, or it's where we get the, the word science, omniscient. He is omniscient, he is all-knowing. God knows everything. The reason I'm pointing that out today is because our frustration so many times comes from, God, why? Why did you let this happen? It just doesn't make sense to me as a human. Why? Like, or, or maybe not just why, but you might say to God, like, what is going to happen in the future? Who am I going to marry? Like, what is my job going to be when I graduate? Or 
in the future, like next year? What does, and there's so much that we don't know in our lives that it can become frustrating. But when we recognize that we don't know everything, then we can allow God to be omniscient. Like we don't, he doesn't need our permission, but we can acknowledge him as that to allow him to say, all right, um, I, you can trust me because I know. Even if we don't know, we can just throw it up to God and just be like, all right, God, I understand, you know. So let's move on to the next attribute of, of God in the next three or four verses. Verse seven says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? We have the presence and, and the location okay, here in these verses. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, that's the east, and I settle in the far side of the sea, that's the west, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So in these verses we can see where is God? God is omnipresent. He, he is everywhere all the time. We even know from scripture that he is very present in our time of need. Uh, the song said it well. There is another in the fire holding back the seas. When Moses and Israel went through the Red Sea, God was there. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in the fire, there was another there. It was God. In the middle of the darkest hour, in the middle of your most trying season of life, God's spirit is there with you. Amen? He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And because of our frustration, sometimes we say, God, where were you when? That's why we need to know he's omnipresent. We say, God, I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling isolated, and I don't like this feeling. Then I want you to know God is there with you. Side note, like, the church is there with you, too. Join a small group. You know, come out on Tuesday. We're going to partner with you. Like, you can, you can jump in, too. But more importantly, I want you to know that God is with you, and he'll never leave you. He is omnipresent. Let's look at the next three or four verses. It says, uh, starting in verse 10, Even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So here we see that God is omnipotent. Again, he is all potent. Like there's a smell. I'm smelling it right now. It's like it's potent. Okay? Did you smell that? It's kind of weird. We have like a thing. I don't know what it is, but it's potent. <laughs> it's distracting. It's powerful. It's a powerful smell. Only in the front row gets it, and it's not me. Sorry. But sometimes you smell like onions. Whew, that's potent, you know, or, or whatever it is. Uh, you can, but it means powerful. It means significant and strong. God, in, in, a, in a way that has nothing to do really with smell, God is all-powerful. He is, he is, he is all, all-powerful. And then that points again to um, the, the safety that we all need. Why, the frustration comes from here. When you say, I am so weak that I can't handle this situation. It's good to acknowledge that. Because in our weakness, he is made strong. To say, even if it's a physical healing, and you say, I've done all that I can do. I'm eating right, I'm exercising, but I have received a diagnosis from the doctor, and it's not favorable. I don't like it. I'm too weak, and I've, I can't go any further. When you've come to that point, then you can understand God is all-powerful, and he can give you the strength that you need. It might be an emotional thing. You know, it might be a relationship thing where you say, God, I am just 
I've gone as far as I can go in this, and I'm an emotional wreck. I can't do, I'm just not strong enough for this. But then you tell God, I know that you are all-powerful, so you can handle any situation. You are strong enough. You know, when he's omnipresent, that's his love. He's saying, I'm there with you. That's, a, that's a meeting that need, but that basic human need that says, God is all-powerful. He's there with us. Let's move on to verse 13, kind of shifting gears and taking a little bit of a turn uh, in this, still, still honoring God in this section. Uh, verse 13, David writes, and this is inspired by God, so it's the Holy Spirit speaking it to us. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I like that part that says, your works are wonderful. And then it implies and it also tells us explicitly that we are the work of God. That means that we are wonderful. You are not here by accident. You were created on purpose. God knew you before you were born. All right, and so since we're talking about Latin words today, uh, this is the imago Dei. We are created in the image of God. And that makes us valuable. All right, so the reason I'm leaning in here on this one is because this is something that I struggle with. I believe I'm created in the image of God. I believe that God makes wonderful things. But oftentimes, I don't see myself as, okay, that's what gives me value. Personally, I have a tendency to think that because I work hard and I'm successful at my job, that makes me valuable which would also mean that if I fail, I'm less valuable, all right? That's just the, I mean, I don't think I'm alone here, but that's sort of the tendency that I have. Because I have accomplished X, Y, and Z in my life, um, well, then I'm valuable. But to scratch one of those off, and who, I'm going to get scared because that means that I'm not as special. I'm not as valuable. This is not good. Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we can understand that we are valuable. I'm going to put it like this. This past week, I traveled to Omaha with Andrew and Emily. Uh, they were the singers, my brother and sister-in-law. And my parents met us up there because coming up this week is my, uh, the one year of my grandpa passing uh, from earth uh, to eternal life in heaven. And we had a wonderful celebration of his life, just kind of to commemorate that anniversary. But when I found out that my parents were going back there, I said, okay, well, if you're going back to Omaha, then I want to come with you because for my other job, not Grace Church, but the other job, Every Home for Christ, I gather pastors together in various cities around the world. So I thought, oh, my parents can help me with this, right? Uh, they're influential people. They know a lot of people in Omaha. Let's do this. So I thought, okay, this is going to be easy. We'll have enough family members. I could fill the room with pastors. Um, and so I, you know, send out emails and postcards. We did radio ads. We did Facebook and Instagram ads and made a lot of phone calls and tried to get as many people there as possible. And I, I, I was kind of frustrated because just two months ago, it looked like I was only going to have about 15 people show up. My goal was 200, okay? <laughs> so we've kind of not hitting the mark there. And I was really frustrated, but I thought, okay, 200, that's nice, but 15 people show up. And then my boss calls, not my dad, but the other boss from Colorado. And he says, hey, we've heard what an amazing job you've been doing. 
uh, at my events that I've been hosting all over the country. So I'm going to come check it out for myself. And not only that, he said, I'm bringing my new boss, who is a vice president at this organization. He wants to see for himself. Okay. No pressure. So I freaked out for two months. And I only had, at the time, like 30 people registered, and only half of the people typically show up, so I've got 15 people coming. Here's, here's what I learned over the past two months. If, hypothetically, if I went to Omaha, did an event with, a bunch, with, with any number of pastors, and just kind of failed, as in it didn't go well, hypothetically, if I would have returned home, Charity would have been there, and she would not have loved me any less. Because that has nothing to do with her love for me. She wouldn't have thought of me as any less valuable because nobody showed up. The two, in her mind, just don't correlate. She would have been proud of me if it was a successful event. And by the way... It was amazing. We had like a ton of people there. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. She's like, stop. Don't encourage him. Um, <laughs> if it had been a huge failure, though, I know that she would, Charity would have loved me as much as before I left, not knowing what the outcome would have been. How much more our God who in Romans 5, 8, we learn that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That literally means that while we were the enemies of God, while we were opposing him with our sin and going against him, he still showed us mercy and grace and gave us the greatest thing ever. Because he loved us that much, that shows us the value that we have. My sister in Omaha, she does mortgages and stuff. And she said that that house is only worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. Because back before inflation, I was like, but my house is really worth a ton of money. And she's like, is anybody willing to pay that for it? I was like, no, but it's, worth it. it's only worth what you're willing to pay for it. And we were, we were worth Jesus dying on the cross. That's how much God was willing to pay for us. That's how much he loves us. Not to mention in this scripture, he says that you are a wonderful work. It says, if his works are wonderful and we are his works, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are here on purpose. And God loves you. So if you are struggling with self-esteem today and you think that maybe you're here by accident or, or your life doesn't matter as much, maybe because something in your life happened that you didn't like, I want you to understand that when someone gives you or someone gives me a compliment... That's nice to hear, but that does not add value to my life. And if someone doesn't give me a compliment, or, or even worse, actually speak something negatively towards me, that does not take value away from me. Because that's not where my value is in. My value is in him, because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's where I get my value. And that's where you get your value. So compliments are great, but... That's all that they are. Let's continue in this same thought as we look at verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. 
All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that great? Every day that you're going to live is already written down in God's book, even before they happened, before you were born. I would say even before the invention of time, God already knew your days and he knew your life. But not only that, he ordained them. So not only does God know you, but he also has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to order your steps. The New Testament tells us that God created you to do good works, which God, which Christ prepared in advance for you to do. So you're not only created on purpose, you are created for a purpose. And that's that top of the pyramid there. When you have safety and love, then you can go out knowing that you are uh, ordained by God to do what he's called you to do. And you can discover what it is. You can discover your purpose by uh, the word and the spirit and leading him, by following his leading. But you can live out your purpose. You have a destiny. Amen? Verse 17 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This points to the love that we have. That basic need to say, God, I need to be loved. We love God, but we want to be loved from him as well. If you've ever played peekaboo with a child, you might have an understanding of this concept of object permanence. Children aren't born with this innate understanding of object permanence. When Judah was even younger, he's three now, but he was little, I would put my hands over my face and I would say peekaboo and he would just like spaz out, there's daddy! Oh, there he is! There he is! I'd, I'd hide myself again and he would just like totally just be like clueless like Wow, I wonder if I'm ever going to see him again. <laughs> and then I'd be like, peekaboo, there he is! Oh, I can't believe it! And I'm gone. And he'd just basically go about playing. Just look around, and they're like, peekaboo, oh, there he is, he's back! <laughs> Mom, you're never going to guess this, Dad's back. Uh, eventually, uh, children kind of learn that you put your hands over your face, you're still there. <laughs> okay. Um, it wouldn't mean the same if I played peekaboo with Selah, she's five, and even Judah now is three years old. It, you kind of see this when you take children and you leave them with a babysitter, and they have that separation anxiety, because this is really, like, internally, like, they don't really understand, like, you are coming back. Like, it's going to be okay. You're still loved, even when the parent's not there. You drop them with your grandparents to, like, all right, they're going to be gone for a day or however many days, because they're so nervous. It hasn't been fully ingrained in them that everything's okay, they're still safe, they're still loved, and you're still coming back. That's kind of how we are with God. In this verse, it says, when I awake, I am still with you. Like David is having this real, uh, realization, like he went to sleep and he woke up, God, you're still there. <laughs> how great. It's important for us to know that even when we don't see God, he's still there. He's not playing peekaboo. But sometimes we just can't see God. Sometimes we don't feel God. He is omnipresent. He is with us. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He is always with us. When your kids go to school, when they go to bed, when you go to work, when you go through a divorce, when you are in a difficult season with your children and you can't see God in that situation, 
he's still there. He, that is the ob object permanence, like he's a fixture. So you can know that. And the more you go through these types of situations, I hope, the more you understand that. And when you sing the song, God, you'll never fail me. You've never failed me yet. He, will, he never will. He's always there. So in these first 18 verses, David has been honoring God. And what I want to explain now is this sharp turn. David just like drastically changes his attitude starting in verse 19. And he starts venting to God. This is sort of like that friend where he gets all like cryy and snotty and he gets upset and everything. You know, um, he kind of lets it all out. And then he's, he ends in the last two verses, we'll read it, uh, about surrendering to God. So before I read it, I just kind of want to give you a heads up to tell you where we're going. God, you know, David here, he says, I'm going to honor you, God. I'm going to vent to you and I'm going to surrender. So in your general prayer time, you can do this, but especially when you are experiencing really complex, difficult, and intense emotions, you can use this as a format to going to God. Uh, let me read the verses so that you understand more so what I'm talking about. And so all that good stuff about God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I could never run from your presence. I love you, God. You're so amazing. Oh, you're still there. And then in verse 19, he says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Just <laughs> Sharp turn. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. And again, we can see this need for safety. There's a lot of insecurity happening here. David's being hunted by people. Verse 20, they speak of you with an evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Okay, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like he's really just laying it all out there. He's saying that he hates these people. Now, just last week, our pastor told us that we shouldn't hate people. I made a note of it because, like, ah, I'm reading that verse. This verse doesn't condone hating people. Jesus clearly says that if you hate somebody, it's the same in God's eyes, as murder. So we are not like saying, okay, go ahead and hate people. What this is doing is it's saying, if you hate someone, you can tell God about it. That's called confessing your sin. And that's something that God wants us to do. If you are jealous of someone, so, oh, that person got that new house, it's so big, it's so nice, it's on the creek, you know what I'm saying? They have the big playground in the backyard. Just whatever. Um, <laughs> for the kids. I mean, I'd play with it too, but, you know. <laughs> I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. Um, <laughs> but I'm just like jealous, right? I can go to God with that. And I can tell him that I'm jealous. That I'm struggling with envy. That's called confessing sin. Now, we're not going to leave it there. The last two verses talks about leading me in the way of everlasting. We'll get there. Talking about surrendering, what we do with those emotions. But it might be bitterness or forgiveness. Just to say, God, I want to kill that person. And Charity got on me first service because I told, I was like, I want to kill somebody. But I was like, I didn't mean it. It was like just saying, like in general, you know, like, ah, I want to kill you. Like, <laughs> am I alone? 
in this. I mean, I'm not saying I would actually kill somebody, but the desire, like, like road rage, you know what I'm saying? Like, you call customer service, he's like, I want to kill you right now. Like, that kind of, you can, sorry, let's move on. Um, <laughs> I don't have a plan. I'm not going to kill anyone. Just want to sometimes. So uh, going to God and being like, God, I want to kill that person or whatever. I, wanna, I hate that person. It's the same thing in God's eyes. Giving that to God, confessing that sin, that evil desire. It could be lust. It could be greed. It's whatever that thing is that's inside of you. And, and, and here's something that some people like charity, they're good at it. This is, I'm not good at this. Sometimes I think my thoughts are just so offensive that I might be able to tell someone like Charity or a friend about these things. But I have a harder time going to God, especially when I sort of, at least internally, if I were to admit it, blame God. Intellectually knowing that he's probably not responsible for what happened, but in my heart kind of thinking, God, you could have prevented this because you are all-powerful. And then there's this difficulty with why not, trusting that he's all-knowing, but... So sometimes just for me, I just, like, leave that right here in my stomach. And I don't tell God how upset I am, even though I really am kind of upset with God at times. But what I'm challenged to do today, and I hope that you are as well, is to let that out in the most, in the healthiest way possible, and that is by, yes, first, honoring God, and then going to him and saying, God, here's how I feel. Because God already knows how you feel. He's all-knowing. But telling him how you feel, and then allowing him to rewrite that script, and to say, God saying, I know how you feel. Allow me to show you mercy and grace and peace. Thank you for cluing me into that. And then when you're done surrendering to God and saying, all right, God, I know that your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So I'm going to just trust you anyway, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I didn't get my way. I think that's a healthy thing for us to do, even in those intensely emotional situations. And then we can surrender to God. That's what David is doing in these last two verses. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And I think verse 24 is hilarious because just in verse 22, he says, I have nothing but hatred for them. And then in verse 24, he says, see if they're just, just maybe be any offensive way in me. Just like, just check my heart, God, and just see. Like, um, I think he maybe knew that he was offended. He just got done with his, like, gut-level honesty with God. But he does something important, and he does say, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And when we think about God leading us, there, there that is, again, that purpose and that destiny, saying, God, guide me. But to zoom out, it's really important for us to say, you know what, God? I don't know why this is happening. And I do believe that God can change the situation. So I'm not just talking about accepting things as they are. Even though that's important 
Do you know what I mean? Especially when things can't be changed, but I believe in healing. I believe in miracles. But in that season where you haven't seen it yet to say, God, I surrender to you. I understand you are in control. Can the worship team come back at this time? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. We have the needs of safety and love and purpose. And God wants to provide that sense of safety for us. He wants to be the one that loves us along with many others. God is love. And he wants to give you a purpose. You were created by God on purpose for a purpose. And so I hope that today you learned a couple things, that you learned some of the attributes of God and how that equates and rubs against that frustrations, those frustrations that we have with needs that may not feel met. I hope you learned that you can uh, go to God even in the most difficult times. But I also hope that you kind of can adopt this sort of a model prayer. Um, Not necessarily every day all the time, but especially when you're dealing with those heavy emotions. I think it's better to honor God, vent to God honestly and vulnerably and transparently, and then surrender to God. Here's an example of a psalm that is not in the Bible, okay? Um, It's just like you you could be a psalmist, you can write a psalm. We wouldn't put it in the Bible, but you can still do this. Anne Weems wrote this. I don't know anything about Anne, but she wrote this. She said, oh God, what am I going to do? He's gone, and I'm left with an empty pit in my life. I can't think. I can't work. I can't eat. I can't talk. I can't see anyone. I can't leave my house. Nothing makes any sense. Nothing seems worth doing. How could you have allowed this to happen? I thought you protected your own. Holy one, I am confident that you will save me. You are the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Now that's uncomfortable for me to read because I think it sounds kind of rude to God. This one that we are supposed to esteem and reverence so highly. But that's how that psalmist felt. And just to reiterate, that's not, that's not from the Bible. But that's how we feel sometimes, so that's what we can do with God. Uh, we, you could do this. This week sometime, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, think about, get a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper and write down everything that frustrates you. Just, you can number them if you want to. Write down everything that you are afraid of and write down everything that you are worried about. It's okay to do that. Write it all down. And now you have your prayer list. Now you have, I don't know how to pray, God. Well, here, do this. And then honor God as all-powerful, all-knowing, always there. Give him that list. Just take, you set a timer. I don't know if this is biblical, but it's, I'll tell you like this. Somebody told me I could do this. So you decide if it's healthy or not. Set a timer for five minutes and just worry about it. 
I don't think that's biblical. I don't think you should worry. That's what they told me to do. And then when the timer is done, stop worrying about it and give it to God. So instead, let's put it biblically because you're not supposed to worry. Uh, just give it to God. Just to say, all right, God, I'm reading this prayer list to you right now. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I confess my sin that I am worried, but now I'm giving it to you, God. That's your prayer list. Could you stand with me today? I believe that God is always there. I believe that he is all-powerful. I believe that he is all-knowing. And I believe that he wants to meet every need that you have, whether it's the need for security, whether it's the need for love, whether it's the need for purpose. But you might be here today and you've never experienced the love of God. Maybe you don't even feel secure or safe in your life. Maybe you don't even know what the purpose is because you've never surrendered your life to God in the first place. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. I want to challenge you today. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God uh, wants to forgive you of your sins, those wrong things that we've done that separate us from God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that he gives us a gift of eternal life, that if we only ask, if we only believe, then we can be saved from our sin, saved from hell, and have a home in heaven for eternity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I wanna ask you, have you ever surrendered your life to God? Because if you haven't, the Bible is clear. God says that it doesn't matter if you believe that there is a God. What matters is that you believe in God, that you are trusting him alone for your salvation and your hope for eternity. That doing good things doesn't get you to heaven, but believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he traded places with us. So I wonder today if there's anybody here today that says, Marcus, I want to turn my life over to God. I've done it my way long enough. And I know that if I were to die today, I, I don't think I'd go to heaven. But I want to know for sure that today, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to accept the price that Jesus paid on, on the cross. And I'm going to ask him to cover my sin. If that's you, would you just... Raise your hand up nice and high. I'm going to thank you for the hands that are going up in this place. Praise God. I'm going to just, we're all just going to pray a prayer together. But if there's anybody else that says, yes, include me in that prayer. I want to ask God to forgive me. I want to make a decision that I'm living for him. Make that bold declaration that I'm a Christian, that I'm a believer. Thank you for those hands that are going up. And we're just going to pray a prayer asking God to make us new, to make us a, a, a new creation. And then we'll close in, in prayer in just a moment. Would everybody here repeat after me if you raised your hand or even if you didn't? And just repeat after me and say, Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know I've sinned. Please forgive me and make me a new person. I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you give each other a great big hand clap in this place? Maybe you made that decision for the first time. But either way, after you leave here today, please stop by the VIP booth. We want to give you some next steps.
in following Jesus Christ. Allow me to pray for you before we sing one more song. Lord, I thank you for the hope and the peace that you give to each one of us. God, I ask that you'd fill us with love, that you'd fill us with safety and security and with purpose. Allow us to come to you boldly and honestly and transparently today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Let's sing one more song.
guys so much for coming out to Grace Church today. Um, aren't you just so thankful that we can be 100% honest with our God? Um, it's, it's so great. I love the part that Marcus said, um, go home this week and just um, make a list of the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I call it. Um, he can handle it. <laughs> so just be honest with him. It's okay if you're struggling. It's okay if you're feeling angry, but just be honest with God and he will every time. Um, so let's just close in prayer. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for each and every person who came out today, God. I pray that we would go this week, God, and truly um, lay our needs, lay our emotions, lay our feelings out to you, Jesus, so that you can um, come and just cover our needs, cover cover our sin, cover um, all of our feelings. And um, I pray that you would just go with us this week, bring us all back next week, and just... Um, Help us have a good rest of the day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.